Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back. Hi there, it's Sarah Hanchar here, your host of Hi, I Think You're Nice, the podcast where I speak to a nice person about nice things for about an hour. Today's episode is with my friend Kent Whipple. We will be talking about the magic of storytelling. What makes a great story? How do you tell a great story? And why is it we love storytelling and stories so much? So I have this really exciting episode. I'm excited to share it with you. This last week, I have been in my old stomping grounds in Orlando. Orlando, Florida. I've had the honor and privilege to speak with some of my friends here in Orlando uh, with these really great interviews, everything from the Rockettes to dinosaurs to Gatorland to cosplay, so much more, this, that, the other thing. I wish I had four months to come down and speak to all of these amazing people that I know. Uh, So hopefully I'll come back later and uh, get more interviews because gosh, People are great. People know a lot of things. And what I love about this podcast is that I get to sit down and chat with friends and sometimes people I don't even know very well and talk about the thing that inspires them, that they're excited about, and that it's worth learning about and finding it totally interesting. So I hope this inspires you to talk to people in your life or maybe folks you don't know that well about that. Hey, you know that thing that you're totally into? I'd like to learn more about that because that's super cool. Anyway, so I want to say thank you to my Orlando friends, and uh, hey, thanks to the new people who have joined my Facebook page, or the I Think You're Nice Facebook page, I should say. So if you'd like to keep up to date on what's going on, I have little sneak peeks and looks behind backstage, and by backstage, I mean my recording studio that is a hotel room in Orlando. So yes, anyway, hi. I think all of you are great. I think you're nice. We have so much to learn together, and I think that's lovely and fun. Alrighty, so back to business as usual. If you could do me a huge favor, like my Facebook page, the I Think You're Nice on Facebook, um, Instagram, I Think You're Nice, Twitter, I Think You're Nice, and you can always email me at Sarah at I Think You're Nice, because I want to know what do you want to hear about, who do you think is nice. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. I'm all ears. Tell me, because I don't know. I don't know your life. Tell me. Tell me your life. And I think that'd be great. Any So, enjoy the episode. Kent Whipple is a dream come true. A lot of funny stories from him, and I get to share some of my own. And gosh, I'm looking forward to you listening to this episode. Thanks so much for being here, and we'll see you next time. Okay, bye. Hi. I think you're nice. Why, hi. I think you're nice. Let's have a seat and let's have a nice time. I think you're nice. So let's chat. So let's chat. So let's chat. I think you're nice. So let's chat. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Hi, I Think You're Nice. I'm Sarah, your host. This is a podcast where I talk to a nice person about nice things for about an hour. And today, my very special guest is Kent Whipple. Yay! Hello! Yay! Um, I know Kent from Unexpected Productions, where he is the... Marketing and Development Director. I am incapable of remembering what people's jobs are. (laughs) It's okay, I can't remember people's names. So we're here to talk about uh, Kent's storytelling. Um, I've enjoyed watching your journey on Facebook, you posting your stories and um, or videos of your stories. So I guess I would like to start with, um, have you always been a storyteller? Um, yeah, I come from 
You know, I hate the way my voice sounds. You can leave this in. I just hate the way my voice sounds. Everyone does. I'm here to tell you your voice sounds great. And it's, I feel it's like amazing. I sound like Liberace's more effeminate brother. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where is he? Because that would be a dream. <laughs> um, <laughs> we should all be so lucky. <laughs> I come from a family, uh, a Southern family, uh-huh. where stories are how we live. That's how we communicate. So I grew up with a grandfather who told wonderful stories. And then I got involved with it in high school when I was doing speech. Mm-hmm. And uh, stories have always been my passion, but I never really united with them until about 10 years ago. Because I'm kind of that annoying guy that goes to movies. And you know how some architects see uh, <laughs> see squares and triangles everywhere? Uh-huh. I can kind of see where the story is going. Yeah. And so I'm the annoying guy that goes and says, oh, this is how it's going to end. Mm-hmm. And... I, <laughs> So I've ruined a lot of movies. You don't want to go with me as a date. Um, it's just they're kind of, they've always been my passion. I don't know. That's how we communicate. We learn through stories when we're kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is how, remember the books that we read? Uh, Bernstein. Is it Bernstein or Bernstein? Or I, Bern- in my in, in my day, it was the Bernstein Bears, I, I think. I don't know. Maybe it was a uh, where you grew up thing? Yeah, I don't uh, know. Way of pronouncing tomato, it. tomato, potato. Yeah, so Bernstein Bears. Yeah, now that you mention it. Yeah. So, I don't know. Stories have been surrounded by stories. Then I went into acting where... Yep. And uh, toured the country acting and did plays. And I just got into storytelling about here in Seattle about seven years ago. And uh, I don't know. It kind of tames the tiger in my head. Oh, Okay. Nice. Because my, my, one of my questions also is like, why do you like storytelling so much? They're everywhere. We see them everywhere. Um, when your partner comes home, you say, how was your day? And you get a story. Oh, yeah. Um, when you call family, what have you been up to? You get a story. Now, some stories are better than others. and mm-hmm. um, But like you go to a wedding and if there's a good someone giving a good wedding toast, it's a great story. Or it's some asshole going blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but I, I can think of a, a, all the great weddings that I've gone to where some of my favorite stories I've ever heard are about the couple yeah. that were getting married. Um, we watch it. Even the news is a story. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's how we communicate. It's how we connect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I love the most about it is. Even if you just meet a stranger and you're talking to someone you haven't met any before and you start chatting away and they start sharing the stories and then you get you get to know someone. So in a day when we're, everything's so digital and we have our phone on our hand all the time, that sitting down with a person and hearing a story is just the most wonderful way to connect as human beings. I think of storytelling as being a formal thing because, you know, we're performers. And mm-hmm. so, like, we think of it like stage, audience, writing, uh, like analyzing movies. I also do that a lot. Yeah. Where I'm like, oh, well, obviously this is going to happen and then that's going to happen because of it. And then this is probably how it ends. Right. I try not to say anything out loud unless I'm at home and then I can't help myself. Well, we're theater kids. Yeah, we can't help it. We can't help it. Um, but the story of, you know, a toast at a wedding, I... I don't think of that as being like a traditional story, but and it's not, but it is. It is a story. It's a way of finding common ground and shared experiences. Right. Well, I'm going to guess when you met your in-laws, yeah, they started telling you stories about your husband, your future mm-hmm. husband. Yeah. And you learned about him through, oh, you wouldn't believe it when he did this. Or, yeah. 
and you get to know him. We get to know each other through other people's stories of ourselves. Yeah. And uh, they just connect. I mean, what did you get a story about Patrick that, that you remember um, when you first met that you're like, mm, I think I like this guy when uh, his parents said something? It was it was later in our relationship, but his mom used to, yes, there was one where his mom used to put make his peanut butter jelly sandwich into a heart. And then one day he didn't, she didn't do it. And he's like, Hey, I liked it when it was a heart. <laughs> and like that, like made me, I'm like, oh, you sweet boy, <laughs> you like having hearts for lunch when it's so hard to be, you know, cause I'm like, you know, boys rough and tumble, blah, blah, blah. But he's like, I liked my heart sandwich from my mom. His heart PB and J. Which was really sweet. So anyway. It kind of, um, but it kind of gave you an insight into, exactly. into who he is. So I mean, formal storytelling, getting up on a stage, yeah, that's a little different, mm -hmm. but if you're doing it well, it should be no different than like you and I sitting down here right now. Yeah, just having a chat. Because storytellers, our job is to connect with the audience. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and although they may not have experienced exactly what we're telling a story about, they will have experienced something that they connect with. And that's our job. So I use in my class the Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yes, love it. Just had Patrick watch it recently, actually. Everybody, I don't have a, a Greek family. Uh-huh. That's my family. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. we all can relate to the kooky family and 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 when uh, from an outsider's perspective. Because mm -hmm. when we see it, we're like, oh, my God, that's my crazy family. Mm -hmm. And uh, But when an outsider looks at it, we get to see it through that. Then it's the exact same as every other family. Yeah. Yeah. Great example. Down to the crazy uncle or the, the dad putting Windex, you know. <laughs> Though my dad didn't do Windex on everyone. <laughs> but I remember, yeah. oh, here's a great story or example. Yeah. Um, we used to go to one of my mom's friend's houses. Mm -hmm. And she would always, for dinner, and she'd all, mom would always bring almond roca. Do you know what almond roca is? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. a, a candy that's. Pink. It's got the pink packages. Oh, wait, then maybe I don't know. And it's like uh, a, a hard candy c covered in chocolate and uh, I think almonds. Okay. And I was always so embarrassed <laughs> that my mom would bring these. And it was the hostess gift that she'd uh -huh. bring. And I just imagined that they must have had like 40 cans in a closet. <laughs> that they're sitting out oh, there's that. I do know what they are. Okay, yes. Sorry. Yeah, they're in the middle can. Mm -hmm. So... I, but in my head, you know, that was like, oh, God, Mom, yeah. why do you have to bring that? <laughs> why can you bring something like uh, And then I, I was also bread. sure the minute the minute we walked out the door, today, can you believe she brought that damn Roka again? <laughs> a lot of strong feelings about this <laughs> well, Roka. <laughs> you know, but, you know, when you're a kid. And, yeah. And so, but didn't you? Uh, your parents oh. had to have embarrassed you at some point oh, over something sure. that was nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, let me, uh, I can't think of anything. Um, oh, I remember my mom wanted me to go to the grocery store for her once, and I had to buy toilet paper. I'm like, <laughs> Mom, I know people in that grocery store. I can't buy toilet paper. I am not buying toilet paper. And I was like, yeah, I was mortified to have to buy toilet paper. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and I think we went home. 
<laughs> did you refuse to go in? I think I did. Yeah. Um, I think I think that I think the event escalated to such a point where no, I did not get that toilet paper. Well, I'll buy toilet paper for you now, Mom. I'll di- buy toilet paper for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> toilet paper for everyone. For all. You get toilet paper. You get toilet paper. You get toilet paper. Kids, check under your seat. Everyone gets toilet paper. <laughs> There's some toilet paper under there. That's my hostess gift is toilet paper. Well, and do you worry that they talk about you after you leave? <laughs> oh, gosh. In general, uh... I've, she brought that toilet paper again. Again. It's the two-ply. We need three minimum. But those funny things, you know, when you're young and those things yeah. that are so important, those are some of the stuff that make great stories today. That's true. Because we can all relate to being mortified. As I remember when I was a kid, there was a, a, a place called uh, Grand Central. Okay. And I guess the only equivalent would be a Fred Meyer store okay. or a Kmart or... Mm-hmm. I guess Walmart or Target now, but it wasn't nearly as fancy as a Target. Oh, okay, sure. But I remember there, being there, I was about 13, and it was with my dad, and uh, dad was a big, tall guy, Mm -hmm. and it was in summer, and he was wearing, like, flip-flops with black socks. Oh, no. And I was, like, mortified, walking around, going, damn. Damn, everyone's convinced, you know, everyone in the store (laughs) is watching dad in his black socks. And then it was something that happened to me that I was like, this is my dad. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, it just, and he put as, it was so funny because in the store, he just put his arm around me Mm -hmm. and hugged me. And we walked to the store with his arm around me. And I was like, why am I making this such a thing? And it was a great moment to just kind of see my dad as a, as a guy. Yeah. And not the person who was meant to mortify me in front of the public forever. Mm Mm-hmm. Which he was at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it made him a human. Yeah. And oh. so I think we, those are the incidents I think we all have that can yeah. relate. Those those sweet moments. And I mean, I, especially for, for people who have passed, um, like I feel, I love hearing stories about my grandparents and I love hearing about their parents. And um, I think stories are a way of preserving and capturing, you know, mm-hmm. Beautiful and sometimes really funny, uh, funny stories. My mom and my grandma, this makes me laugh because it also gives insight into my own um, anxiety <laughs> problems. Uh, but she, my mom had my brother, uh, mm-hmm. he's first born, and but mom wasn't sleeping, wasn't sleeping. Grandma was there to help with the baby, but mom just wasn't sleeping. And so she laid down to take a nap on the couch. <laughs> and she was, she couldn't remember that she had put Jake in a crib. And so, and she had read an article where a mother had smothered her child or something. So, so she wakes up from this nap is sort of, you know, not completely home. So mom and grandma are like, where's the baby? Where's the baby? (laughs) They're ripping the couch cushions off of the sofa, (laughs) looking for the baby. The baby buried in the sofa. (laughs) Like, anyway, Jacob was fine. He was in either a crib or another room or with my dad. But my dad remembers that and thinks it's, at the time, not funny. Now, hilarious. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. What's the great Mark Twain quote that uh, comedy equals pain plus time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that was Twain. Uh, I, don't, I don't know who said we'll it. We'll attribute that's... it to Mr. Twain in this podcast. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If, if you know the actual answer, it's okay. You can let us know. I just probably won't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, again, some of the most painful moments that we've ever had end up being great humorous stories. Oh, they're great. 
Yeah. Because we build, what's a story? A beginning, a middle, and an end mm-hmm. with stakes. And we build the stakes up in our head, always bigger than what they normally are. Well, it's interesting with your flip-flop story, like your black sandal and uh, flip-flops, uh, or black socks and flip-flops, whatever. Uh, I think that's something else we learn as we grow, is that we're all so busy worried about our own stuff that we don't actually notice or care about other people's right. stuff very much. Right. Like, even maybe if you had, like, some jerky friends in your life or, like, jerky people who'd be like, hi, your dad. But, like, in general, <laughs> we're all so worried about our own things. Only in the last 10 or so years, you've been actively interested in, like, performing I'm them. Performing stories. Well, I did stand up. For a while, mm. and I was a really shitty stand-up. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I, to mean, to laugh. I mean, I was okay. <laughs> uh huh. But and I, I mean, I got work. Yeah. But uh, you know, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who has a storytelling podcast, and we were talking about the difference between stand-up audiences and storytelling audiences, mm-hmm. and there is a big difference. Oh, for sure. Because like a stand-up audience, can I talk about sex? Yeah. Um, they're more like get me off. Yeah. Please me. Yeah. Make me happy. Yeah, I'm here. You make me laugh. It's your job. I paid money yep. to hear, to get Dance, laughs. monkey, dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a storytelling audience, it's more like making love. Because oh. they, they're they there with you. Mm-hmm. And they're waiting to hear what you're going to say and where they're going to go. And how are you going to take them on this journey? Hmm. Whereas if you, you're not making someone laugh and, and stand up, then you're failing. Then get off the stage. Boo. Boo. Yeah, um, but, and that's what I love about storytelling, is you get to go on a journey with the audience. It's, huh. it's you know, what is it, um, Matthew Dix, who wrote a, a book called uh, Story Worthy. He said the written word is like going into a lake. Mm-hmm. The oral story is like going into a river. Oh! I know, he said it, I didn't. <laughs> that's, that's exciting. But it, it, it's kind of true. And so that's what I love is the moment of when you're on stage in a dark theater with the lights at and you're making eye contact with audience members. And if you're doing it well, and I've bombed too, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're doing it well, they want you to succeed and you want to succeed with them and you're right there. You're taking care of them. You're sharing this right, experience. And, but they're giving it right back. Yeah. And so... At the end, you go, God, we connected. Mm, nice. Or you go, hmm, I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, now, you, you learn by the failures, right? Yeah, you do. There's some unspoken truths, like we pretend we're just telling this story that off the cuff, and okay. they're, they're also pretending that we're doing the same thing. Mm, mm-hmm. And so I, I teach my storytellers never memorize a story. Never, oh, really? Especially, I mean, we're talking about moth-style type stories, stories yes. of your life. Yeah, if you're telling a, a folklore story, you got to memorize it. But if you're telling a story of your life, if you have it so memorized, it's going to come off static and boring. Monologue-y mm-hmm. and detached. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if, if you lived your life, so you don't really have to have it completely <laughs> memorized. Yeah. And also, like I've seen new storytellers who have memorized their story word for word, start doing the story, they forget a word, and it's like, <gasps> and they've lost it. Mm-hmm. 
So that way you don't have to worry if you missed a sentence or you missed a paragraph. I will always walk off stage going, God damn it, I forgot to say this. Or, mm -hmm. oh, I wanted to say that. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't really matter because it didn't, it wasn't that essential to the story or I, I would have remembered it. But um, if you're telling a story of your life, you don't have to have it completely memorized. And now I know a few storytellers. There's a guy in town who I've, he's one of the best storytellers I know. And I've seen him tell a story about three times, and every time it's almost word for word. Hmm. So that's his style, and it works for him. So I guess, who am I to teach? But if you know it, you know it, and you can relax and just share that moment with the audience. I, it, oh, go ahead. It just makes it more relaxing. That's what I was, uh, I was going to say. Uh, because to share your own story is very hard and strange and uh, makes you vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I personally have written a one-woman show, and I had written a script, wrote a whole script for it, and then I went into rehearsal and everything, and I'm like, wow, I'm not saying <laughs> anything. I'm telling the same stories, mm -hmm. but I'm not using those words at all because the way me, the way Sarah writes and the way Sarah speaks are two different things. Two different animals. And so uh, I remember panicking, like, oh, my God, I don't, I'm not even off book on my own stupid show with my own <laughs> stupid stories, and I don't know anything. And then when I realized, like, because I asked my team, you know, my director and my stage manager and my accompanist, I'm like, is this good? Do Is this fun <laughs> to listen to? Are you enjoying this? Does this, is this hurt? Does, are people going to think this sucks? You know, um, and they were like, nope, it's great. It's good. Um, so then I, you know, fidgeted or, you know, tweaked here and there. For audience adjustments, and you like you make those adjustments as you go through and perform. So telling your students and telling people that you don't have to memorize word for word that thing that happened to you is that's a huge relief, especially because oh, yeah. memorizing is really hard anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, storytellers and uh, I don't know anybody who gets on stage. I have such huge respect for, but anybody who goes up and gets on stage and tells a vulnerable story of their life. On purpose, <laughs> Inten <laughs> in front of people, <laughs> intentionally. Um, I have a great admiration for, it. and I don't know why we do it. Um, I talk to other storytellers. I'm like, why do we do this? And mm -hmm. it's because we have to. I mean, for me, like I said, it kind of just brings peace to me. And I will work myself up before I go on stage. I, I mean, I will like. I remember the 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 last Moth Grand Slam I was in. I wanted to throw up in the bathroom oh. and I was miserable. Uh -huh. And I was like, I was, oh. then I went out, told the story afterwards. I was like, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> and so I don't know. Why do we do it? Why do you do improv? Why does anybody yeah. perform? You should be backstage at like a moth show because people are pacing, going back and forth, oh. looking at their oh. scripts. Yeah. Uh, only occasionally will you see somebody back there. Maybe yeah, I remember this one gal just kind of sitting there, doo -doo 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 -doo, ready to go on. And I'm like, what's, what's wrong with her? What's your secret? And then she went out and knocked it out of the park. Awesome. But so, I don't know. We're all different. A lot of yeah, different way to process these various things, and um, I wanted to make sure that we talked about what is moth because you've mentioned it a few times, and uh, for listeners who aren't aware, including myself, I only know a limited amount about the moth series. Well, the, the moth, moth started method. back east. Okay. And it's a competitive storytelling show. Oh, I didn't know it was competitive. It is. The audience scores it, so you have a moth slam, uh -huh. and then they get three teams of different audience members to be groups 
or a team. Okay. And then they ha- each have like three placards, kind of like we do at theater sports, and then okay. they score it. Oh. From nine to zero, I think. Oh. Yeah. Get that. Get that zero out of there. Um. I might be. I might. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So it's 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 competitive. Then the person who wins the moth slam goes to the grand slam, and oh. I think each major city has a two grand slams a year. I think. Um where all the winners of the, all the slams go with a brand new story. And it's usually in a really big place okay, with a huge audience. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> most, most of the grand slams are, you get 100, 200 people. Okay, that's significant or, uh, The slams, still. just the slams. But like the grand slam, you can have 1,200 people. Oh, that's a significant increase. They've done it at the Moore Theater here in Seattle, which has a, a huge house. They've mm-hmm. done it at uh, Town Hall. Okay. Um, and so then you go score from there and, but it's not, it's weird because the, I don't think the storytellers are competitive. I was just going to ask, I'm like, is it, I mean, they are, but they aren't, I mean, nature? it's more, you want to do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but if somebody scores higher than you and it was a good story, yeah, it's oh, yeah. Great. Well, that's, that's a thing, um, that. I am so glad that I discovered early is that wanting to do your best, but also wanting the people either maybe you're auditioning with or who might be up for the same role as you or whatever, you also want them to do their best. Yeah. It only feels good if everyone is trying and delivering as well as they can, because, you know, to, to hold, to be crabby about their talent or to like hold it against them or something, it just, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. You want to celebrate people's success and celebrate their talent as I, well as your own. You know, the, the French filmmaker Jean Cocteau said, when my friends succeed, I succeed with them. But the storytelling, I, lo- I love the moth. I love doing the moth. I'll do it until I die. But my favorite storytelling shows are the non-competitive ones. Yeah. Um, where people just go up and, and tell a story. And, it, you know, the competitiveness is fun. And, of course, you know, winning... Who doesn't like to win? Sure, it feels good, and you've worked hard. It's nice to, as a person who likes quantitative proof of things, it's nice to be like, see, I got a, you know, a 47 out of 50. I told you, Ma. (laughs) That was a good story because the numbers tell me so. (laughs) Whereas, you know, if it's more free form, you're like, it's enriching and delicious for the soul, but you're like, but does that count? (laughs) And it does count. Uh, yeah, and, so. <laughs> and, and it's really funny because the audience members of the moth, if you don't go out there and be 100% authentic, they know. Oh. But if you're out there and you're authentically feeling a moment and you do tear up or you do feel something, mm-hmm. they connect with you because it's real and that's your job as a storyteller. Yeah. It's not to go out there and do a monologue, mm-hmm. which is acting. Yes, that's different. It's critically different. Um, as a storyteller, like I said, you're just trying to be there with them in that moment. And, and when you, when you do that and you hit it out of the park, the high is just worth all of the throwing up in the back (laughs) 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 and the miserable, um, oh, and I always will just beat myself. Why do you do this? They're not going to like you. This is a horrible thing to do. Mm. And then afterwards you're like, they like me. They really like me. (laughs) 
I think that's important to uh, to recognize is that that's the narrative that we tell ourselves so frequently before we do anything scary, before mm-hmm. we do anything that's new or different or puts you in a vulnerable state. It's like, no one's going to like it. I'm going to be, I'm going to look so stupid. And it's just like the toilet paper all over again. Right. And, um, right. And then, so, I mean, I guess I hope my listeners, uh, if you feel like you're scared of something or that you're doing something and it's dumb and stupid and it's not going to be quantified and it may not be successful. And we all have those thoughts and it's the, the strength and the bravery of persevering and doing it anyway, because it nourishes your heart and your soul. That's, that's what we're celebrating. And we need that. And I think as humans, we need that change. I mean, you can live your life stagnant, live in fear. Who wants to live in fear? It's not fun. No. And, And so if you challenge yourself and do it, and you walk away, you go, oh, I'm still alive. Nobody shot me. Nobody <laughs> threw tomatoes. Um, yeah. And I had a, a weird experience. The last show I did, um, and she was introducing me, and I was headlining the show. And I was a nervous wreck. And then something happened. It was like a stupid Hollywood moment. I mean, it's almost scripted. Okay. That I was all tense and freaking out. And then I pulled the curtain to walk out on stage. And for the first time, I was like, I'm here. And the audience, it was great. It was a great story. It was a great show. First standing ovation I've ever received. (gasps) Oh, Kent. Right. um, And I think it was because I got out of my own way. Yeah. And because we are our own worst self-sabotagers, I think. But once I was like you do this all the time. You tell stories all the time. Why are you freaking out? And so in that time, I was able to just leave it backstage Mm -hmm. and be present, which is what we should all do in life anyway, is to work on being present more. But as a storyteller, it's critical to just be in that moment and uh, getting out of our own way. Do you find that the... uh, that stage lights are magical. Yeah. Being on stage is magical because I will be, you know, we all have our various problems, but once I'm on stage and the lights are up and there's an audience, I'm like, Oh, okay. Now I can relax and get to work. Whereas the minute I'm off stage, I'm a wreck again, but something, there's something magical. No, I mean, about it. You're there and it's sink or swim. Yeah. And if you swim, you're there with having fun. Yeah. Again, any performer. Um, yeah. If you're being able to be there in the moment, in the lights, you know, a lot of folks that I teach, it's a, it's amusing to me because, and I don't mean it in a, a condescending way at mm-hmm. all. You and I are used to working with microphones. Yeah. To have somebody who's a new storyteller, a first-time storyteller, try to speak in the mic, but stay away from it <laughs> as far as possible. <laughs> But try to get it, and I, because public speaking, you know, some people would rather die than speak publicly. Apparently, once upon a time, that was a statistic. More people were afraid of speaking in public than dying, which, of course, to us is like, what? That's crazy. Yeah. But I, my dad's one of them. He's like, I can't imagine doing anything in front of anybody like this. Uh, so it's, I mean, I, I laughed because. It is it is very brave and strong right. of them to try, but it's also really I mean it's, it's no and it's that, and that's, a little but bit. But that's why we I teach it in class. <laughs> yeah. is just basic mic skills. So if when they go out and do a story, that's not 
the thing that a thing that's that's in their head that they're worried about and yeah we're used to mics but if you're not used to it you got to learn it and so it's so funny because i have to say no speak closer 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 move close to the mic i will also turn on the lights so Mm -hmm. they can get used to the lights because if you're not used to it it's blinding and scary and you are the proverbial rabbit in the highway (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) looking at the spotlight um so if you can get over the fear of that and then be able to just tell your story, then get over the fear of the story, then you conquered the world. What? The whole world? The whole world. I okay, knew that it was might that be easy. a little hyperbole, but I'm in marketing. <laughs> and that's what we do. No. <laughs> so it makes it, it makes it easier for them. So we're actually uh, the class that I'm in now, it's a four week class that I teach. Um, our last class is a good part of it is after practicing stories, it's practicing mic and stage walk and stage presence. Yeah. So those are skill sets. Those are actual skill sets. Um, I can't remember. I think it was. Again, the most important thing to teach is how to tell, tell a story. story. Of course. But it's part and parcel if if they're going to go out and do it. I wanted to know, hey, you mentioned some storytellers um, uh, that you that you like in town, were there any in your youth or like throughout your journey that you've like really connected to or were inspired by? Well, right now, I don't know. Hannah Gatsby, Gatsby, who did Nanette, if you've heard of this. Yes. Uh, it's one of the best storytellers I've ever seen ever. Um, I need to watch that still. It's on Netflix, Netflix right? Yeah. yeah. And she starts out, you think it's just a simple stand-up show. And then she takes you on a journey mm-hmm. that can break your heart. Yeah. Um, so I, I love watching her. Um, I Kathy um, Kathleen Madigan. So there's a lot of comics. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to like the, the. Of course, I love dramatic storytelling, but I, I tend to hang out with the or be drawn to the comedic storytellers. Sure. So Kathleen Madigan is a comic who's I would call her a storytelling comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy named Tommy Jonigan, uh, John Mulaney. Yes. Um, these are all comics, mm-hmm. but they're more storytellers, I think, because it isn't the setup punchline, setup punchline, setup punchline. They're going somewhere with this. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Mike Brabriglia, which oh, is yes. the hardest name for me to say. I'm sorry, Mr. Brabriglia, if you're out. Mr. Brabriglia. It's interesting. A lot of connection between improvise the improv world and storytelling world. But on the risk of sounding really corny, some of my favorite storytellers have been the people who've never done it before. Mm. And I've seen them just go up and share and open a vein. Wow. Um, and by instinct and with no skill, no no back skill, tell a story that can make you laugh or can make you cry. And they're just sharing a story of their life. And so those are some of my best favorite storytellers I've ever seen. Wonderful. Um, I remember the last show I was at last Thursday, a local place called uh, uh, Fresh Ground Stories. A guy told a story that just I, had me lost. I was out of my head with him right there at every moment. You know, if someone's doing a, if a movie's boring, a television show's boring, or you're watching a, a an improv scene that's boring. Mm-hmm. 
I get into my head and I'm doing my grocery list. Sure. Yeah. But those moments where you're there and they're able to take you on this journey, be it the movie, be it the improv mm-hmm. show, be it the storyteller, and you forget about your own life and you're there wondering what's going to happen next. Yeah. Those are those are the storytellers I love. So how did you get involved with Moth to begin with? Did you know it was a thing? Or? Mm, okay. Yeah, I knew it was a thing and would go to watch them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I recommend anybody who's going to do storytelling, going to do stand-up, going to do improv, go watch. Yeah. Go watch because you learn. You learn what to do and you learn what not to do. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the, yeah, I guess one of the biggest takeaways for me is uh, when I was watching them before I did it, and I, it took me about three months to gain the courage to do it. And I remember it, <laughs> being in my apartment Going to the door to open it to go, then sitting back down. <laughs> and going to the door to open it. And then on the bus going, okay, well, you don't have to tell a story tonight. Maybe they won't draw your name. May- okay, let's just pray they don't draw your name. Okay. And finally getting the courage to do it. And it was so much fun. And then I was addicted after that. Yeah. Um, but where was I going with this? I forgot my own story. Oh. Uh... Yeah, so how did you get involved? So, oh, so, oh, that's so yeah, it was, a, it was just watching, watching and observing and seeing people go up there. And, you know, we have the luxury of being entertainers or from an entertainment business. Mm-hmm. But seeing these people who are accountants, uh, IT folks, bus drivers go up there and just make you laugh or make you cry. Yeah. And then learning again the authentic journey and learning that if you're not being there and if you're not doing it and you're not telling it from your heart, then then don't. <laughs> <laughs> then get into stand-up where you can yeah. you can do your no, uh, but, like one, uh, two, three punch. Because, again, the audience, because of the moth being a scoring, mm-hmm. they're going to tell you. Yeah. Now, you can go up there and bomb by still being authentic by just having a bad day. Yeah. But all in all, a bad day storytelling is a hundred times better than a a bad day doing stand-up where they're booing you and kissing you and (laughs) get off the stage. (laughs) My maternal grandfather, if I have any stories, storytelling skills came from him. Mm -hmm. And he was a small business owner, didn't go to college, worked in oil fields. Yeah. And, uh, but damn, I mean, even as like a little kid, five, seven mm-hmm. years old, watch him. We'd all, family would always get together for Christmas. So we'd drive in everywhere to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Don't be jealous. And um, <laughs> have a big family thing. It'd be 20, 30 people. And he'd hold the room. Wow. Just sharing a story. So that's where I learned it. That's where it started. That's, that's pretty incredible. Uh, when you were discovering, when you're going on this, this journey, did you have any, was it hard to discover your own storytelling voice or do you think you have one or is it just everyone has it naturally because if you're telling your story, then you have your voice. You have your voice. Okay. Now, yeah, you develop it more in, in your cadence, I guess, Mm -hmm. and how you share things. But yeah, everyone has their own, own voice. 
Because if you're trying to tell someone else's story, you suck. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I teach students. I'm like, you can't tell someone else's story, but you can tell a story about how you responded to them Mm. and how you responded to the incident that they're they're sharing and how were you involved in it. Yeah. I also want to say that sounds exactly like therapy. You're only in control of what you can do and the emotions that you feel. You can't control how someone will respond. You can only control how you'll respond to them. No, it's the same. I said, but again, take a drink. Um, I think you're being your harshest critic. A performer being a harsh critic about themselves? No. Shut up. Get out of here. Get out of town. Um. Yeah, that's as you develop more and more and more and you tell more stories and you tell more stories, you have your voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I tell humorous stories. I've told some, some, the the one that I did well with at the Moth at the last Grand Slam that I was in was Mm -hmm. a pretty uh, tough one about my youth, but got there through humor. Mm -hmm. But I kind of like hearing the laughter and... yeah. And sharing that moment again, because every time you tell a story, you get to relive that moment. Oh, you that's get, an interesting. I hadn't thought about that. And you get to be there. And, you know, I always say stories, the best stories that we tell come from those moments. You know those moments in your life where time seems to stop? Mm-hmm. Like when you see the car accident. Okay. And everything slows down. And you notice every detail. But we have those moments in our emotional history, in our emotional lives, and those are the well we can draw from. And those where great stories come from. Where you remember the scent of something. Yeah. And then you're there. Yeah. I, uh... I'm trying. I'm just thinking about my own experiences of like what stories I've told and what stories have stuck with me. And at first, they're like bummer stories that I'm thinking of. But then I'm also thinking of really nice stories where I've taken, you know, I've I'm like, oh wow, this is a moment I'm going to remember forever. Mm-hmm. Like when I got uh, when I got accepted to the College of Santa Fe, I remember tearing back into the school. And telling my arch nemesis at the time, um, I'm like, "Bye, Robert. I'm going to Santa Fe." But Mike, drop. But he was like one of the only people in the building because I wanted to share it with like people I cared. I mean, mm-hmm. not that Robert, we're we're cool now. Um, and uh, like, I wanted to share. I wanted to share it so badly, so I just told everybody. But even then, Robert was very sweet and said congratulations and whatever. Well done, Robert. I know. Well done. Uh, he's great. He's, I think, an attorney now, and he's Mr. Smarty Pants. He's great. Um, but but, I, but if you think about that moment, uh, did you find out by a phone call or a letter? Letter. So that moment yeah. that you opened up that letter and read those words. Yeah. I mean. My you, mom picked me up. She had, actually had three different letters that told me three different things. They're like, you've been accepted into the college, but not the theater program. You've been accepted to the theater program, but not the college yet. And we need more information. Like. They, oh, seriously? So so they had everything. So I'm like, Mom, does this mean what I think it means? And she's like, yes, it means what you think it means. And so that's when I tore it out. On us. the golden red, the golden red logo on the white yeah. paper. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, those wonderful moments. I mean, you could, uh, 
almost make up a whole story about waiting to be accepted for college. Oh, wait, there have been lots of movies about that. Oh, I guess there have been. (laughs) Because we relate. We can all relate waiting to hear for college. Or for whatever thing. For whatever. Whatever you're looking forward to that your heart's in your throat that's going to change your life forever. Um, And if you get in or don't get in. And yeah. Yeah. So, So those are the stories that are around. But those are those moments, those key moments. And it's... Try when you're looking for stories and trying to remember. The, mm-hmm. Those are the the things that I tell the students to look for. What are the one of my favorite moth stories is a gal, <laughs> who wanted an easy bake oven for Christmas. Uh huh. And the building up, waiting to get that moth was a, or, or that, <laughs> that that oven. That oven. <laughs> Stakes were built, and she talked about waiting and dropping hints and leaving notes, and would she get it? And <laughs> No, I, I after that I wanted an easy bake oven. Yeah, <laughs> but that but that moment was so big in her head as a kid. Yeah, that she remembered it and then built this beautiful, hilarious story around it. Uh huh. Oh, I love it. There's a million. There there are actually books on the health of storytelling. I mean the the benefits mm-hmm. of storytelling. Um. I've read way too many books about storytelling, and now I'm reading reading some really weird, obscure ones. But they, they're scientific proof that the remembering mm-hmm. helps expand the synapses in our brain. So it's especially now that we have a lot of folks who are elderly, getting a, a much older population in the U.S. Mm-hmm. They need stories to help them stay here. To yeah. be here instead yeah. of getting the dementia, and it proves that they actually help. It actually helps them to be able to tell their stories because they go into their brain. Yeah, storytelling I... saves lives. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I want to talk about my grandma real quick, who had uh, dementia—not Alzheimer's, but dementia—and I would go and I'd stay with her, and she would wake up. It was in a healthcare facility, so she was uh, partially. It was like anyway. She had her own little apartment dealing, mm. but they, she had nurses that would come in and check on her. Um, and But she would, like, she would go to sleep, go to bed, pop up like a zombie, like a zombie movie, you know, when they just, like, poop, pop oh, yeah. out of the grave. And then she'd pop up, tell me an amusing story about me or my brother or my mom or somebody, and then just lay down and go back to sleep again. Oh, that's and then great. pop up and say, and don't, but keep in mind, I'm also trying to sleep because it's... <laughs> <laughs> It's like four oh, o'clock in the oh, morning. I thought it was just like an afternoon nap. No, no, this was like nighttime. So when you'd go visit grandma. Yeah, so when I'd visit her, I'd stay over, I'd bring Luca, my little Pekingese. So between the nurses coming in and checking on uh checking on grandma and Luca freaking out that someone's coming in and the nurse saying, Oh, you're here and I'm like, Yeah, I'm here for the couple nights and so so that would happen and then grandma would so I didn't sleep at all when I visited grandma oh because but I really enjoyed her pop up stories because I'm like, Yay, hi grandma. Yeah. You you what you know that nice I'm Nice to he- see you. Yeah, you know that I'm here. You remember who I am. You you were remembering these nice Nice times we had together, and those those were really really wonderful. So, That's great. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, terrific. Yeah, I forgot to mention that, that this was all like at nighttime, <laughs> like when sleeping should be happening. Yeah. But whatever, we were on grandma's schedule because when you're ninety, you get to do whatever. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's funny. My stepdad, who I just loved, 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 he was the second father to me. He was also a great storyteller. Mm. But he'd tell the same ones over and over and over. Yeah, that can be hard. Yeah. 
<laughs> and he what didn't have dementia. Oh <laughs> no, this was just back in World War Two. Oh God. All right, I know this one. Here we go. <laughs> I met the nicest. Yeah, his name was Chad. Yeah, he was from Ohio. Mm-hmm. He had a three-legged dog named Tripod. I remember. <laughs> but I, I would now, I would now give a million dollars to sit and listen to one of those stories again. Yeah, yeah, those are, those are beautiful things that we get to. And families, where I think the families where you learn, learn your stories first. Mm-hmm. You learn them from your family. Yeah. And my mother, God love, God love her. My mother tried to tell stories, <laughs> but it'd be like, so yeah, he, 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 uh, his name was Thomas from, um, from Ohio. Hmm. Maybe it was Bob. Okay. Bob lived in Texas. Oh no. <laughs> Mom. But yeah. she, uh, but she could li- listen and laugh. Mm-hmm. And, uh. That's key for a budding storyteller. It's oh, someone yeah. who will listen. Yeah, who has the patience to to listen. Yeah, <laughs> it, and it's funny because I I was with a neighbor's kid the other day, and uh, she's about seven, mm-hmm. and she's she's oh I want to tell you a story. Okay. I'm like okay, she goes, I was out with my friend, and then we went to the store, and then um, we went to her mom's house, and then we went in her bedroom, and then I'm like okay, I don't want to coach you because you're seven. <laughs> child you're a child but you got to lose the end then <laughs> but how will you know the time is going forward i can audiences <laughs> can figure that out i sound Not like i'm picking seven. on a seven-year-old but it's so funny because she <laughs> her mom told her that i told stories or something and so oh. she wanted to tell me a story yeah. and I, i'd sit there for hours waiting you know i'd but it was fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the story coach in me was like, we got to lose the end ends. <laughs> so what do I know? Because I keep saying but. Yeah. Well, here we are. We're all just imperfect storytellers <laughs> trying to find our voice. <laughs> exactly. Um, let's see. So we've talked about it uh, quite a bit. What makes a great storyteller and what makes it. Oh, but what makes a great story? So we've talked about storytelling. Would, would the story you know, like being emotionally connected and being present, that makes a great storyteller. Is there anything in particular that a story needs besides a, a beginning, middle, and end? Specificity? Stakes. Stakes. Every good story needs a stakes because we got to care. Mm-hmm. You got to make the audience care. Yeah. And you have to care. What, during that moment in the story that you're telling, what was important? Yeah. What made you needing to tell this story? was important so how did it build up you know i read a great quote is good storytelling is getting getting people up the tree and throwing rocks at them oh so you've coached them up there they're here they understand the world they see what's going on no i mean more the characters that you're talking about okay so if you're telling a story you know you got to get these folks doing something okay then you get them up the tree so Uh they're up there then you throw rocks at them and those are the stakes that are being built Okay. Until they come down, the end of the story. Oh. I took it as to like, here, you're in a, we know what's going on, and now we're here. And then, okay. All right. So, so it stakes, and then a universality. Okay. And quite often that universality comes from it being authentic. 
Like I hate it when my my furrier doesn't have my right. mink dyed on time, right in time for the ball. Right. Like that probably. You've lost the audience, yeah. <laughs> except the one lady who has a fur. <laughs> so. Who's uh, going, damn. <laughs> I've had the same problem. That happened to me last week. Oh, the, when we had matching tiaras, I could have died. Why right. didn't Tiffany's tell me? Right. And so there's that weirdness of, of specificity mm-hmm. and vagueness at the same time. You know, you can't get too specific to where people are. A story about your fur that got ruined. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. But if you're telling a story that you had this beautiful fur of your grandmother's Mm -hmm. that was handed to your mom, then down to you. And when you smelled it, it reminded you of her. Mm -hmm. And that then you bring in a story about your grandmother and how she set up in the middle of the night. Telling us stories. <laughs> then, then that, we're, it's relatable. We're all there, you know, even though it might not be the fur coat. But yeah. um, my uncle passed away um, in October. And uh, my aunt sent me a bunch of his clothes. Oh. And it just means so so much. Yeah, half of them don't fit. But I wear a scarf of his that reminds Aww. me of my Uncle Jack. Then I could tell you a million stories about Uncle Jack being a World War II hero and how he went to um, D-Day. Whoa. Yeah, and then came back two weeks later, then went to Holland to liberate the Dutch. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and when he would tell those stories of that and how it changed him as a young man. Yeah. And seeing friends die on the beach. Yeah. It was a horrible thing, but a beautiful story. Yeah. Because I was there. And though I haven't been to, I haven't been to a beach saving a country. Yeah. Somehow I could relate because of the way that he told it. I could relate as a young man. Uh, For me, I lost a whole generation of friends to the AIDS crisis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so in a way, when he was telling that story, I was like, yeah, I, I remember as a, 20 something person losing my friends. Yeah. And mm. the the pain that that caused. Yeah. Uh, relatable but different. Different. I mean so many things have is universality a word? Yeah. Universe? Okay. I don't know if I said it correctly. Um but love, loss, um memory, pain, guilt, shame, celebration, elation, like there's so many things that are shared um that uh wow wow and, and then, also then when you're in with an audience yeah and there's it's dead silence yeah and they're just waiting for you to share a, a set the next sentence oh boy that's such a joyous feeling because if you if you did your job well they're there with you and they've touched you you've touched them I mean only emotionally in a yeah, nice way. I was going to say, emotionally, you've been connected. Yeah. and That's very intimate. That's yeah, very intimate. And you can be intimate with an audience with, I did it with 1,200 people. Yeah. And that's so much fun. Yeah. If you get past the scaredy pants part of it, like. Yeah, if you can get someone to put down their phone. Yeah. More people will do it, I believe. I yeah. believe people will do it. We just have to ask them to. But I think, why is storytelling burgeoning? Is that a word? Did I say that right? right? I Bourge- think burgeoning. 
Bore, in, I've only read increasing. it. Increasing. Increasing. <laughs> Getting bigger. <laughs> That's our fine Catholic education, <laughs> private college coming through. Words Listen, are... I can tell you all about the international phonetic alphabet, <laughs> but I can't tell you big words. I can't do mathematics, but I know the difference between Apollonian and Dionysian. <laughs> right. Um <laughs> But I, why is it becoming so big? Because people are craving those moments of intimacy. Yeah. Um, I mean, just since in the past five years, I've seen show storytelling shows throughout the entire Puget Sound popping up, new ones all the time, and and even specific ones like uh, women's stories, LGBTQ stories. You're getting groups telling specific. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, had a fun time telling a bad date story. There's a show called Bad Date Storytelling. <gasps> oh, I want to sign up. Yeah. Who can't relate to a bad date? I'm like, do I just have to tell one? <laughs> <laughs> What's my time limit? <laughs> <laughs> Ten minutes. Oh. Hmm. Right. <laughs> but, and, and they all get audiences. Yeah. Because we crave that. I, I think more and more. Sure. I love to binge on Netflix. Of course. Um, you can do that naked at home. Right, and I yeah. do. Yeah. Well, how else are you going to do it? <laughs> right. <laughs> but being in a theater, and that's why I think people love improv. I think that's why people go to plays. But being in a room with a group of people sharing an emotional journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, we used to sit around fires and do that. Yeah. That we developed as a as human beings in caves telling stories around fires. It's in our DNA. It's ingrained into who we are. Um, and so it's not, I guess it shouldn't be surprising mm-hmm. that it's becoming so big again um, because it's just what we want, what we do. Yeah. But, 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 but. Chug, 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 <laughs> chug, chug. <laughs> the, 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 and, and, I don't know, maybe it's a good or a bad thing that they're becoming just specific stories. I just, because they are universal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I got to give credit to The Moth for creating that. Yeah. Now you have shows like like Risk that um, Moth oh, had. Oh, right, Risk. It took me a minute to put that in my brain. Moth has specific rules. You can't really swear. You can't get too raunchy or graphic. Okay, sure. Graphic's a better word. Okay. But Risk, there's no holds barred. Just go nuts. Yeah. Tell a good story, but go nuts. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, why are, are they podcasting? I mean, people crave it. Yeah. Um, I listen to it all the time. It, and then there's body storytelling that's naughty storytelling. Mm-hmm. Proliferation of different types of storytelling going on. And for different tastes, different folks. Yes. it's. Uh, I love that there are places that are, like, specific, like, you know, about, you know, women or LGBTQ and all these things where, like, we want to talk about our shared experiences. Um, I also love things like Intersections Festival right. and where we go ahead and we open everything up so everyone can see everything because it's important to right. see everyone's story at some point, um, to hear different voices tell different things different ways. Um, well, again, so. that's, that's how we get rid of prejudice. Yeah. Is if I'm sharing a story about love, 
might be with my boyfriend, mm -hmm. which I don't have right now and I'm looking for. <gasps> okay. <laughs> I love no, but, finding love for people. So No, but if I'm sharing a we'll story talk. about love, yeah. love is love. Yeah, love is love. And, and if somebody can relate to it who is not gay, never known gay people, then they go, oh, they're just like us. Mm-hmm. That's the job of storytelling. Yeah. I guess, wow. I guess it, one of my biggest takeaways from this whole conversation is storytelling. It makes it, people realize they're just like us. Yep. And it's that shared intimacy. Yeah. And if it was the end of the story, we'd call that a button. <laughs> <laughs> Put a button up. I do love a good button. Um, and that's what I love. Well, I love a lot about storytelling, but yeah, if it, that's a really kind of, I'm, I'm going to stick with that tonight. That's going to really resonate with me. Oh, good. All right, now I will charge you $180 for this being your therapy for today. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I'll charge you $180. No, wait. <laughs> okay, we break even. <laughs> Um, for those in the viewing, uh, listening audience, we just clapped hands. Yeah. That was a solid high-fiver. <clears throat> High-five. It was really good. Um, actually, it was really good because I am notoriously a bad high-fiver. <laughs> Are you always miss? Well, I kind of get like three out of the five fingers, and it's, so it's like it's sort of like a wimpy. <laughs> oh, and... Like I'll, I'll make a fist when someone's putting out their hand, oh, or I'll do the opposite. Yeah. Awkward. <laughs> Patrick and I fist bump a lot whenever we're playing video games. We're like, yeah, bro. <laughs> like it's a, it's a new dynamic between us that didn't exist until we started playing video games together. That's hilarious. <laughs> I just, I, I like it. And I'm like, do I understand fist bumps now? You do. I do. I really do. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Da, 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 da. Well, we're on to our last question. Uh, which is always my favorite. Do you have any funny slash interesting stories with your journey of storytelling? Well, <laughs> one of my favorite stories of storytelling mm -hmm. was at a moth a couple of years ago when this young guy came up and he was the night, all storytelling like moth or other places, they'll have a theme. Okay, great. So they say the theme of tonight is about loss or the theme about tonight is joy. And so that night, the the theme was risk. Okay. Not the risk podcast, risk. And so people were up sharing stories about how, you know, they took this chance or asked a girl on a date or asked someone to marry or move to a new city. And even pretty high stakes stuff. Yeah. And this guy came in and started telling a story about how he had these roommates. And in the middle of the night, someone would shit on the landing. <laughs> and, <laughs> I was not ready for that. Neither was the audience. <laughs> so you saw all these people looking at each other. Trying to, in their heads, as good audiences do, trying to figure out, how is this a risk? <laughs> so then he's like, yeah, nobody knew. Then three days later, we were all asleep. And the next morning, someone shit on the landing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, part of me wanted to say, did, did you not get the assignment? Did you not read it? Honey, that's the other class. <laughs> and And... I admire him. He was up there telling a story, 
but the whole audience the whole time is trying to figure out how does it and evo- so, involve risk and so maybe it's a really good story and we're going to get to the end and yeah. find out the big reveal of some crazy neighbor who came in and yeah. almost killed them or whatever whatever then the third night uh-huh we all went to sleep uh-huh you know where this is going uh-huh and was by there, th- was there shit on someone the landing? shit on the landing <laughs> And nobody would take credit for it. Well, I'm like, why would you take credit for that? It's it, not taking credit. It's copying to it. It's like taking the guilt. The, the, yeah. I and so on then again. he was done. Oh, that was it. That was the story. Oh. That was the story. And the audience was like. I wonder, <laughs> poor guy, because that is a great story, but not associated with risk. And the, necessarily. N- and not really a story, more a humorous anecdote about yeah. someone pooping on a landing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so within the storytelling journey, that's been one of my favorite odd moments. Hey, well, it does stick with you, right? Oh, I remembered it, it. Yeah. I remembered it. And uh, and God love him. And I hope he takes my class and we'll figure out a way to make it a story. <laughs> or take someone's the, class. Uh, yeah, maybe that's the only way he could he got through. It was like, I'll just stick to the parts that I know. Well, and then the funny thing after he was done, he came down and he was high fiving his friends, and he was and he was proud of himself as he should be. He got on stage, yeah, and shared in front of two hundred people. Yeah, don't know what the hell it had to do with risk. Maybe that was his risk, telling the story at all. You are much wiser than I. Oh. Or it is also very likely that he well, we, did we, not know. We know I'm kind of a jerk. I was judging a seven-year-old for her story. So, <laughs> wait, eight eight great or eight-year-olds tell much better stories, much more cohesive. Where um, are we going with this? Yeah. No, but again, I admire him. I, I get. I will love anyone. He yeah. goes up on stage to tell a story, especially if they've never taken a class, never done anything to study yeah, it to prep it and just go and do it want to talk about your class for a minute how often do you teach we're teaching quarterly it's a, a four-week class is it a part of moth or is it a part of it's unexpected productions? unexpected productions okay and uh i have learned so much just from the storytellers in that class yeah and that's been a joy but what we try to do is just identify stakes identify what makes a good story I don't want to call them tricks of storytelling, but how to make things relatable to well, an tools. audience. Tools. Tools. That's better than. Yeah. So instead of, you know, saying he was, she was a beautiful woman, you can, uh, she was a beautiful woman. And then we moved on. You can, she reminded me of uh, Jessica Roberts with her brown hair and blue eye or brown hair and brown eyes. And it paints a picture in the audience mind. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's not what exactly what we teach, but we use over the four weeks create a story. Every student is able to walk out and do a moth story. Wow. Cool. Or whatever, wherever they or want Or whatever to story that they want. They'll have a seven-minute story. Wow. Seven minutes is, uh, I've, I've mentioned this before, I can't remember which episode, but like seven minutes is a long time. It's also not any time at all, depending on different things. But seven minutes to somebody who maybe isn't from the performing community and is on stage alone for seven minutes to talk about just themselves or what they've been through, that that feels like three and a half hours. It sure does. <laughs> but we 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 teach and we work on on ident- again identifying the stakes and then how to craft something to build 
how to relate to an audience, mm-hmm. how to identify what makes a good story, which is really the beginning of all of it, Yeah, which we start out with those moments, those cryos moments, and try mm. to go for there. And then by the end, they're on stage practicing their mic skills, like I said earlier. Awesome. That sounds really cool. Maybe I'll take this class. Come on down. I do love storytelling. Clearly, because I shanghai every uh, episode of this podcast to talk about my own stories well i mean really <laughs> what you're doing every time every episode it's all stories i mean the episodes that i've heard is what that was, i think that's horatio that? pushing his head on the door trying to open it <laughs> no i mean everyone on here has told their story and stories of their lives down to why they're in meditation why they like sandwiches mm-hmm. why they like uh hallmark stories yeah and it, 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 once again, as as my dream also is to find that universality, universality, Univers- universality, universality. Sure, uh, yeah, that sounds good. We'll, make, um, we'll take it. We'll take it. Um, that's the dream is to discover how much more we are alike than different, and uh, that we can that we can all enjoy each other and laugh together, and that that is a beautiful thing. Yeah, and that we're all nice most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, we really are. And we really can be. I believe it. I believe it in my heart. Um, and now comes, a, don't don't get any ideas, Kench, just because I'm unbuttoning She's my unbuttoning sweater. She's unbuttoning her sweater. Uh, because it's now it's time for musical art farts. Armpit farts or arm farts. Oh, here we go. Um, so, uh, usually, damn it, I gotta remember to tell people about this before we start recording. <laughs> so, um, what I typically do, well, first, you're welcome to fart any way you want to. Um, I have been through the whole episode. <laughs> it smells really intense. <laughs> um, but usually I just put my my mouth on my arm and then I blow and make arm farts. And that's how I like to s- send my listeners off into their So day. this is your version of Carol Burnett uh, touching her, her ear? ear? Yeah. Yes. Only this isn't for my mom. This is for the good of humanity. All right. So, um, But no, I'm inviting you to fart with me. So okay. however you like, you can also just fart on your hand. Or in your arm, <laughs> or if you can do the armpit. Oh, I've got it. Okay. Ready? And. <laughs> Yours were especially spirited. Thank you so much for being here, Kent. I love you. I love you too. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> that was a hearty fart. Thank you.